Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, this is a really special one for me. We have uh, Nick is on the on the on the show, obviously, and we have Ruben Furtado and his son Austin Furtado. And if you don't know Ruben's story, he he really started from nothing, and then he went on to uh, buy and sell and flip and move into a bunch of them. Twenty four properties. His last flip was a, a home for four point five million. Actually, his family lived in that home for a while, but it was for four point five million dollars. So you can imagine it was like a two and a half year project. So we're, we have him on the show to share a lot of what he's learned over the years on not only flipping properties, but we had a good time just talking about his life story. So wait till you hear where he comes from. Um, and uh, there's a story about a golf course that we kind of kick off with that uh, I didn't see that one coming. But uh, there's a lot of lessons in it. Hopefully you pick up a lot of good stuff. And it's really a special episode for me because... After I left university and I went into the IT industry, I, I, I left the Royal Bank's IT department down on Front Street to work at Oracle Corporation um, out in Mississauga. Learned a ton there, but I quickly learned in the tech support role that I was in that all the money was, be making in, was being made in sales. And I specifically remember that after Nortel. Um, bought a bunch of Oracle uh, database licenses and I was stuck trying to teach these database administrators how to set it all up while the sales guys were like popping champagne and partying. So I realized I wanted to get over into uh, into sales and I eventually did. I went in as a sales consultant for a few years and then when I went into straight sales, Ruben Furtado was actually my first sales manager. Then we went off and flipped our real estate. But we were the only guys in, in the tech industry that were making money in, in, in the tech world and taking the money we were earning and not putting it into the uh, stock market but buying a uh, buying properties. So that uh, that really kind of launched off me buying properties with my brother-in-law, with Nick. Uh, Ruben and I flipped a property. So you'll uh, that's kind of where we met. And you'll hear some of that story as well. So uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully there's a, a tip or two in here that you can kind of take away. We really had some uh, some fun together on uh, on this episode. So uh, And remember, if you want more information from us, the best website to go to is always going to be rockstarinnercircle.com. So that's uh, www.rockstarinnercircle.com. And I just wanted to really uh, thank everyone. We just kind of launched this podcast. We've already been getting uh, some five-star reviews on iTunes. You know how happy that makes us? It's ridiculous that uh, something so simple can make Nick and I so happy. So I really wanted to thank everyone who's doing that. Um, It really means a lot to us. So uh, there you have it. Let's get started with this episode. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we're live, so no more background music allowed. But uh, talk into the mic. Can you please speak into the mic like we practiced? Like this. So Ruben Furtado is in the house with Nick and myself and his son, Austin Furtado. We're going to get all the intelligent answers from Austin Furtado. But Ruben, <laughs> good to have you here. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I enjoyed my own joke there. Um, so that's, that's unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, really, uh, that's, really, <laughs> that's really unusual. So Ruben, uh, we got to begin. Why did you, at Aaron Mills Town Center, uh, why did you take all the sand out of the mini putt course at Aaron Mills Town Center? Probably because I didn't know better. Uh, so basically, at that time, what I wanted to do is I wanted to be the most successful person around me then was actually the property manager. And I thought that was the only way I was going to make it to property management. Because you're, what were you doing? So I just got promoted from being a security guard 
to basically managing the miniature golf course. And that was never profitable. So as soon as I took it over, one of the ways to make it profitable was to cut back on costs. So instead of outsourcing all that work, I waited till the mall closed and with a bucket and a truck, literally carried one bucket at a time out to a truck, removing all the sand to save the company $10,000. Nick, did you know yeah, this story? No, I didn't know that yeah. story. You're, yeah. a, you're a worker, man. Yeah, oh. how many buckets of sand was that? Oh, man. How long did it take you? Oh, it took like over a week. <laughs> it was every time <laughs> I, would, I would empty out one reflecting pool at a time and literally spend all night. And if you, if that, you, you know what, what, you, what do you mean reflecting pool? Like it was wet sand. It was. You don't I, remember I think, that mini putt course? There? I kind of do. I it remember. was really. I'm, nice. I'm younger than you guys. You guys yeah. not yeah. forget that. You guys we are old. Like, yeah. Austin doesn't even know what it was. Do you know? So, have you heard of Aaron Mills Town Center in Mississauga? I've heard the story. He actually yeah. golfed. Oh, of course, I've heard the story. Party there for him. So we actually. So he knows it. Really I've seen well. pictures. But I would say this: Can you imagine? Then when I would go to work the next day and we filled it up and that water was so crystal clear and there'd be a little kid. With his putter, dumping sand, dumping in sand back into it. <laughs> you were not happy. No, I wasn't happy. <laughs> so, so you, uh, but when you emptied all that sand, you were doing it to try to get a raise. Then they give you the raise. Yeah. So why I did it is I said they gave me that job. They didn't want to, and they said, "How old I, were you?" I must have been like twenty-two. Were you already married? I was. You, know, you had I, Austin. I had. When, Austin. when did you have Austin? I had Austin. So I was married at twenty-one. Austin shortly after. Um, and then I was working at that. I was working security for about a year, and then I got that wow. job. I think 22, 23 years old. You already had a son. I did. I did. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and the, the arrangement was that job. It was a management role, paid like thirty-five thousand dollars a year, um, because they felt I wasn't qualified. Sounds like a management role. Yeah, dumping sand out of the. <laughs> no, the, 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 the role was just to manage the golf course, and literally it was just staff schedules. Um, but it had nothing to do with what I was doing, right? But either way, they offered me uh, 26000 and I said, no, the position is advertised at thirty-five, and they basically said, well, if you prove yourself, right? So what we did in less than six months through things like that, me not outsourcing that work, me doing a lot of the hours up front, putting marketing programs together with other vendors, like other retailers, uh, doing advertising in the back of the, of the scorecards, we finally made that business profitable, and then I went in for my raise, and that's when they said that, unfortunately, they didn't have it in the budget. And I'm like, well, that's not possible. No way. Yeah, I said, that's not possible. I actually did the budget. And they're like, well, yeah, you did, but we allocated those funds somewhere else. And I said, well, where did you allocate them? And they said, well, he allocated to his own personal income and the marketing director. Man. So then that's when I gave him an ultimatum. I'm like, $2,000 more. So I was making, I think, like 24, and I wanted to make 26. If they didn't give it to me, I'm, I'm out. And it was the best thing that ever happened. So they, they didn't no. give it to you? Nope. Nope. Really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Where did you go next? If I, you know, if I found well, someone. Well, I went out to the property manager's car. Right? <laughs> 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 no, I didn't. I know I didn't. But if I found someone that was working with us that was willing to do that much yeah, I effort, yeah, yeah. I would yeah. be all, I'd be like, two thousand. Yeah, yeah but like, it wasn't their business. Terms. Yeah. Well, they were just dealing with a budget. They took the budget yeah, for themselves. Yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense. And maybe. Again, they might have been seeing a little bit further ahead. They already, you, you guys know the golf course doesn't exist. It's gone, right? Where was, where were you, li where was Austin living at that? Where, you, where were you guys living? So at that time, I, yeah, I didn't, we didn't own a house. I think we were actually living in an apartment because I remember I was supposed to be living in my dad's basement, right? Because okay. we got married really young. And by the time I got back from my honeymoon, my dad already had, Pretty much the house was going to be, he was going bankrupt. 
So had to sell the house. This and is in I, Toronto. No, this was in Oakville. Oh, okay. this is during the okay. crash. So my dad okay. had to sell the house. So this was 1990-ish. Yeah, and then um, then ended up moving in with my mother-in-law for in like for just a couple of months, and eventually found an apartment. So, and that's why wow. they were living at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, when did you? So you left there, and then you started working where? Where was the next stop? So, when I gave them that ultimatum, I didn't have anything lined up. So I quickly started making because I figured they may not give me the raise, so I better find something. And there was a friend of mine that went to university, and he was working in a company. Um, I'll, I guess I can mention the company. It was Hummingbird Communications. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. They, they hired you incorrectly, dude. Yeah. So are they even around anymore? Um, I don't think so. No. I think they yeah. got Remember, acquired by a document. They got bought. Yeah. They got bought up by, by that document like management PC company. Docs or something, something like that. that. Yeah. yeah. So they used to have the, it, they had naming rights downtown. Remember yeah, they did. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Center. Center. They were Center. a big company yeah. at yeah, yeah. one point. Yeah. It was a connectivity products, right? So either way, what ended up happening was, uh, this guy, Rick worked for him, university degree, and he was working like a help desk. So he tricked them to get you in there. No, what he did, he came up to me. He's like, Ruben, even though you don't have the education, you're probably a lot smarter than the people who are working there and would work harder. I think I should get you an interview. So he got me an interview for a telesales role. So this is like a telemarketing role where I'm literally just calling to book appointments for sales guys, right? And I didn't want to do it because I didn't, first of all, it was an hour and a half drive. There was no 407. So I was driving in traffic from Oakville all the way to 404 and Finch. And um, I didn't know that industry. So I was really, really hoping that I was going to get that 2000. Because I was willing to take a lot less money and do what I was doing than take that that other job was offering 35. But with the commute and the uncertainty, but again, I didn't have that choice. I didn't get the two grand, walked, and I took that job for 35. So after that job, you went to Oracle? Uh, No, what ended up happening is within that job, I remember taking the job. And the only reason why I took it is I asked the manager who was hiring at the time, I'm like, how long do I need to do this for before I can get promoted and get a real sales job? And he said, you got to be in it for two years. So the first question I asked him was, has anybody done it sooner? And he said, yeah, there was one guy. And I'm like, how long did he take? He said six months. And I knew right then and there that this could be done in a lot faster than the, the two years. So I did it in six months and I got another promotion and another. So within two years, I had four promotions. And now I was actually in field sales making pretty good money, but nowhere near what the market value That's pretty would be. good money. At that time, about one hundred forty thousand. Yeah. Remember, it's coming from money. hey, I I made an, gave him an yeah, ultimatum, yeah, yeah, two it. grand, and the only reason why I did that because my context of what I thought I was I could make was the most successful person around me was the property manager who was making seventy five. How many times have we talked about the importance of our context? Yeah, one hundred percent. Taught Austin that principle. One hundred percent. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's why I expose him to you guys. <laughs> cool. Okay, but so then after that, Oracle. Uh, yeah. So then I okay, finally stop for a yeah. second. I got a, I got a the furniture sales. Yeah. Your yeah. son, cause you learned so much stuff. Furniture. So your dad ran a furniture store in Toronto. You used to ship the furniture. You ate McDonald's in the store a lot. I know because you were the king of knowing everything about McDonald's, even yeah. when I met you. Yeah. Um, but then you would deliver furniture. But the best part of all of that was to me, and I know Austin must know these stories is when you had to repossess the furniture. You yeah. told me that story. You and your brother. I don't know how old you would be. Do you remember? Well, I, I know I wasn't driving. So I was probably 14. My brother was 15. Nick, right? have you heard this? I've heard, I've heard parts okay, of it. Okay, so when you went to go re- repossess that couch. Oh. Something yeah. about a gas station. <laughs> yeah. 
So okay, what happened? So my dad would sell stuff on credit, um, but he didn't have any formal process. It was like one of those little cards. Sure, yeah. You know yeah, what I'm talking about? Yes. He would actually say, okay, this is what they bought the furniture for. This is what they're owing. And then they have a payment plan. And we would, my brother and I would actually make the phone calls, calling basically like almost like accounts receivable and saying, hey, you didn't come to make this payment. And we would always get, oh, he's not here. He's not here. So then we started going to the house. We get to the house. You and your brother. My brother, yeah. You and so you guys are teenagers. We just finished doing delivery, so we didn't drive. So we had actually our uncle who drove. Okay. So my brother and I show up to the house. And literally, this lady shows up holding her baby in her hand. And we ask for you know, her the husband's couch? home. Oh, I thought you and asked for no, the couch. No, we, we asked for the husband. The she's like, well, he's not here. I'm like, well, can come in. Can we use your phone and call him? And we see the furniture's in the house. And the, front, the, the house is a disaster. I didn't even want to step in the house. It was that bad. But so I call the husband. He's like, don't touch anything. I'll be right there. I'm like, well, no problem. We'll wait for you. While we were waiting, my brother and I, I'm like, I look at him. I'm like, quick, grab the couch. And we start taking the couch, putting everything into the truck. And as we're taking out like the table. What did, but what did, the, what, what did the lady that was home do? She was sitting there breastfeeding. <laughs> oh my God. She just sat you can't, out. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and then, the, no, the worst part is, is while we're actually picking this stuff up, she's sitting on one you of the chairs. You were taking furniture well, away from, a, it's from a mom with her child while she's breastfeeding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so remember, she hasn't paid for the furniture, right? So she's sitting there, and I swear this is a true story. She's sitting there, and she's like literally picking her nose and putting oh. it on the table that oh, we're actually taking dude, out and putting in the... I know, I probably detail. shouldn't have said that. Oh, But no, it just puts fine. you there, right? And as we're taking the furniture apart, the legs, as we actually turn it over... Like dead cockroaches start falling out of the legs. Oh, man. Right? So this furniture was worthless. So I I (laughs) didn't care. At this point, we were so upset that this It was on principle. We were going to burn the furniture. I didn't care. I just want... You felt like they were stealing from your family. 100% they were. So the amount of hard work your family was... Exactly. Exactly. So so I have all the furniture loaded. The the homeowner comes home and he's like, where's the furniture? I'm like, it's in the truck. You pay us. I'll put it all gladly back. You were speaking or your uncle? No, my uncle didn't speak English. So a fifteen-year-old oh, okay. kid had just emptied yeah. out this guy's yeah, furniture yeah. with an uncle who doesn't yeah. speak English. Well, it gets worse because so then the guy. So then he's like, "Okay, you know what? Because the, the furniture is all loaded." He's like, "I will pay you. Put the furniture back." I'm like, "Pay me first. He goes, "No, come to my gas station." And my brother and I weren't smart enough to figure maybe there's yeah, something. Yeah, he's gonna jump here. you at the gas station. His buddies are. So he owns a gas station. My brother and I get to the gas station, and the guy's holding us there, like kill, stalling and making time. All of a sudden, you have like two different cars coming in from different directions, like screeching into the gas station. All the doors open up. All these guys get out of the car, and my brother and I is like 14 and 15 years old, and here's all these full-grown men ready to threaten my brother and I. And I guess what they didn't expect was the uh, us to basically. Instead of backing down, we lost it. We literally, like, basically. Why are you hesitating? We, because I, I'm just trying to think. We, we just. We Speak ha- into the mic. We, clearly, we, we held our ground. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So long story short is the there was guy a did Portuguese not pay- brawl. Was it a Portuguese brawl? Um, you know what? I guess they did not know how to react because they're like, are they going to beat up these two yeah, kids? Yeah. So when they saw. Where was that- your uncle at this point? In the van? Yeah, as far away from us as possible because he had he didn't want to be any part of this because he it. had his own issues. Yeah, got it. <laughs> right. So, so it's you and Manny. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so you you held your own, which means you left with the furniture and the money. No, just the furniture. So he had paid maybe about fifty percent of the furniture. So we basically actually we took the furniture back, cleaned it all up, and then resold it for. The same price that was outstanding on it, right? So it. it worked out. 
huge impact on your life, that furniture store? Oh, yeah. Massive. Massive. Mm-hmm. Like when I look, it, it wasn't so much the furniture store. It was working with my dad, right? And the stuff that he would make us do. And as much as I learned a lot of stuff, and I think the one thing I got was work ethic, but it's also what not to do, right? Because I think he was also all... I think we've all learned from our... Our fa- we've learned from our father on many th- on on what not to do. So what's Austin learning stuff. from me? What not to do? I'm curious now. There's Austin. a long list, dude. Yeah. We make yeah. a list for him too. <laughs> Austin, have you thought about these three things? <laughs> <laughs> don't do these three. See your dad right. Austin, see your dad right now. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, but the benefit is that they get to learn what not to do. Because yeah. if you, if you were not doing anything, then he's not going to get or you know or us from uh, from our yeah. parents are not going to get any of those lessons, mm-hmm. and then. And then you're two steps behind because you still got to figure out those same lessons. hundred percent. So, you know? so you, um, how many properties do you think you've bought and sold over the years? Bought some, some are family homes you've moved into. Others are straight up flips that you've yeah. done. Um, it's in the twenties. Yeah. Easily. Is it over 30? Uh, no, I don't think, think 20 and 30 somewhere now. I think so. And now we're, we're getting smarter. We're basically buying the homes and holding on to them rather than trying to sell them. Um, and then renting them out. Uh, oh, that's a funny. Where did you get that idea from? I don't know, man. For I, years, I, I, for years I told Ruben, yeah. Ruben, you're good. You're great. You're the best I've ever seen yeah. at flipping homes. Yeah. Keep some. Rent yeah. them out. It's a it's a good financial vehicle. Yeah. I Remember? I and you were like, really? I wish that's I could a, that's something people do. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing I wish I could change is holding on to more. Yeah, properties. but we all wish we could have. Yeah. I wish our first yeah, my first mad at me. I yeah, bought the street. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But okay, the first home you moved into that you would say you bought and sold, which was kind of like a family flip, if you will, was it like a semi? Was it that mat? Was it a madami semi detached or something? Yeah. So we ended up. I think it might have been a madami. Um, yeah, it was it was in Burlington. So okay. that was the kind of <clears throat> first exposure to actually um, being involved in purchasing a home for myself. But even at the age of fourteen, literally, it was myself driving my dad out to a property. I'm like, we should buy this house. At 14 years old, right? But then when it, when I got married, the very first house we bought was a semi. I still remember we bought it for like $135,000. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, and you were freaking out. Yeah, and I honestly that not so much that house. It was our next house, but the other house that we bought after that, after we sold that, was a house for about 145,000. No, sorry, it was 185. I remember exactly, and that was our first detached house, like 1,300 square feet. And my dream. Was that house? Was that house? Mm-hmm. Like I was so proud of that house when I'd come in from like Hummingbird, driving an hour and a half to pull into that driveway and say, "This is mine," right? I was as proud of that house as 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 one that we'll probably talk about later that ended up selling for four point five million, and that house, the very the very second. How house, does that pride get transferred to Austin? In Austin, I mean, you're a really level-headed guy, mm-hmm. but how does that's what I th- sometimes think about just. You know, having you're you're you know you're obviously doing really well for yourself. Live in Oakville, your house. I don't know. I I, I can't remember all your houses, but some have been like ten thousand square feet. Others have been like tiny. Remember that townhouse you did up like it was yeah, Wuthering Heights. Yeah, that was the most beautiful townhouse I ever saw in my entire life. Had every feature in it: a spa. I felt like it had a spa, a yeah. movie theater, like everything yeah. in this kind of small space. But how does that pride of home ownership? Like I'm wondering on Austin. Austin, how old are you now? I'm 23. So you're 23. Like, I wonder how that does that get transferred over to not that you're I was going to say our kids. You're not a kid anymore. But does that get transferred over to the next generation? Austin, what do you think? A hundred percent. Now, you know, at every time that, uh, you know, there was a step up or a different house, I guess I always looked at it as, you know, it, it was my family's, but it wasn't something that I did. So growing up when I used to get, you know, when I got into real estate, and I went to buy my first house at the age of 21. 
I had that same feeling, right? It wasn't yeah. that I That was your first one at 21. 21. That's a rental property. Exactly, yeah. Good for you. Okay, but go on. So you had that feeling. So always hearing all these stories growing up, I always wanted those, those Right stories. into the mic, Austin. Sorry about that. Um, growing up, I always wanted those stories to be mine, right? So I always tried to work as hard as I possibly could to have similar stories. And seeing the characters, uh, the character development that, that had effect on my dad, I tried to have the exact same thing. So every time I found a opportunity to work hard and kind of look back and see what the lesson was on that, there was pride in that. And it didn't matter what type of job or what, if it was a house or if it was a small job, big job, you know what, I can take a step back and, you know, be proud of what I did. And that was something that I learned from him at the very, very beginning. Very cool. Boom. How's that for an answer yeah, for you? Yeah, so very cool. I remember the first house you bought, right? And I remember looking at the brick on the house and he was like, I own this brick. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh. So every like, time I'm being proud. Cool. Right? Even yeah. on the drives home sometimes, I'll yeah. drive by the house and not the same yeah. thing. Even yeah. though it's been almost, what, two years? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I own that. The power of that uh, one property at the age of 21. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah, no. So I See, my, the, when I bought that first property when I was 21, life I thought, disaster. Wow, I own this piece of crap. How, did, <laughs> how quickly can I sell it to someone else? Yeah, yeah Austin different, different type of, nice yeah, different type of property. Oh, but and, we've all learned that. But that's something I think we can all pass down to so that Austin doesn't make the mistake. Just going back to how fast we learn. The next generation, now they all see what from us and they know oh. not to buy houses with leaky basements and kitchens yeah. that need reno. No, but at the same time, I, l- I look at the experiences that I've learned from you guys as well as, you know, what buying and holding. I bought that house two years ago and obviously it's appreciated. And if I didn't have those similar stories, I would have been like, hey, let me cash out now. You know what? At the age of 22, I would have this money that I wouldn't be able to have before. But looking at long term, I'm it's one of those things that I've decided that I'm going to keep this for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because he came really close to wanting to sell it. But again, learning from the experience. How much of how's it? We've all done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tempting, well, very yeah. tempting. So, okay, so you bought, uh, then you sold that one that you like. Why did so? If that was your dream house, uh, Ruben, then why did you sell it? Because you could see an opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I think what ended up happening is that uh, that second house, the one I always, I said I would drive in, and I was always, you know, I thought this would be the last place, is there was a lot of de- new development happening in the area. So I was always curious and I'd go to the sales office and then I'm like, you know what, let me try something. So when I bought it for 185, I, without doing anything to it, just furnishing it nicely, I went and I listed it super high, right? And basically what ended up happening is all my neighbors said, this guy's gotta be crazy. There's no way he's gonna sell it for that much. And I think the numbers, like if I bought it at 185, I would have listed it like a 285, something crazy at the time. But then my neighbors are like, if he can get 285, I'm gonna get 265, and then they would sell their house and get 265. So automatically, it started. Yeah, kind of you you brought the whole market up, even though yours didn't sell. Just yeah. listing it higher brought the whole neighborhood exactly. up. Exactly. So then, and the market was doing pretty well. So then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna sell it. And for the same price that I saw and netted out, I was able now to buy something better and bigger from the builder because there was a gap. The builder price was actually less than what the resale price was. That's not the case now, right? But back then it was. So, and I kept on doing that a couple of times throughout the process. So, you, you, Ruben was the first one, Nick. I don't know if you remember me saying, yeah, because we flipped a house together too. The, that whole arbitrage thing. Did, of, did I twist your arm on that one? Did I get you in? I have no recollection. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, when Nick and I have talked about this before on this podcast. We both do things without thinking a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Just going and doing it and figuring mm-hmm. it out. So, I haven't, I, you probably, you probably, saw an opportunity mm-hmm. some saw that you needed the money 
That's probably what it was. <laughs> so you came to me money, and said, hey, Tom, you want to flip this property? Otherwise, I'm going to flip it by myself. Best story ever, though. That, <laughs> I already know where you're going. That property. <laughs> we, so we flipped that property, and then a more... Uh, Ruben, I think, calls me, says, Tom, my mortgage agent's on the phone. She's got an opportunity, and let's conference uh, call this together. She gets on the phone and says, hey, guys, there's a power of sale house. How, how big was that house? How many square feet? That thing was pretty big. I remember it was because it was a bungalow loft, so it looked huge. Okay, that's right. So, so it looked huge. it was huge. probably like 3,600 square feet. Okay, still, but the though. basement was Massive. like 3,600. The basement, yeah, it was just under 3,000. Yeah, so it was it was a this huge bungalow thing um, in Oakville. Yeah. And uh, power of sale. Oh. Uh and we could pick it up for like 920 something yeah. thousand. And Ruben's like, hey, this is a good opportunity. You want to flip it together? I'm like, uh, absolutely. Because talking to you, I didn't know at the time, you knew the higher end market much better than I did. And you were like, we could probably sell this thing for over a million pretty easy with mm-hmm. just some changes. Um, and then uh, you called me back 30 minutes later. I'll never forget the phone call. I think I'd already called Carol, so my wife, and said, hey, Carol, my God, we're going to flip the next house. This is a bit, we're going we were going from 500 or 600,000. Now we're going to start flipping million-dollar properties. And Ruben's like, Tom, you know, I could really, uh, my family and I, that could be our family home. Like, we really, <laughs> we really, that we envision that as probably being our family home. Would you mind if you stepped aside on this deal? And, uh, you know, we would love to move in that and stay there as a family. So I'm like, oh, my God, Ruben, if it's going to be your family home, absolutely. No problem, man. You know, I'm I'm not going to flip this thing with you. There's no, you know, forget about making, uh, you know, $250,000. No, forget it. It's your family home. Forget it. Absolutely. I stepped aside. Three months later. Hey, Tom, you know what? I'm going to sell that house. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom doesn't tell you, though, right? But so uh, you don't even probably know this is that I, I hadn't even seen the house yet. I call him. I'm like, hey, there's a great opportunity. And then what happened next was, I think it was like a blizzard. And I literally got in the car and I drove out there. And no one's living at this house. And I'm walking around the back of the house, right? I don't think you were there with me. I'm walking around the back of the house. And neighbors are seeing this guy with a flashlight trying to look into this empty house. I, in a really I nice vaguely remember this. So they call the police, right? They call. But I was there admiring this house. And then I, I started picturing my family living there, right? And that's when I called you back. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I think I want this one for myself. <laughs> and I honestly, I, I honestly thought I'd be in this house for a long time. It yeah, wasn't like I know, a big I, I know that you've thought that about multiple. Yeah, houses. you convince yourself. So I do very every time. time I move. I think I'm there long term, right? And then what, if if an opportunity presents itself at that point, then that's when I start to hey, does it make sense? Like even the last like Rochester, I had Hold no. Hold on, so before you get to, I just want to make a point on that particular property. Bought it for like nine twenty. Then when you went to go sell it, I vividly remember because I think I just got my real estate license, and you did return the favor. Not I only did. You, I listed that. That was the first listing I ever had. Um, I listed that property um, and uh, sold it a one three. I think it was one two five or something. Listed for one three. Yeah. Every real estate agent that you brought in, all the top agents, they all said you were insane that they would never list it for more than one one five. I remember one agent saying one one five, and that's the max. You listed it for one three, sold it for one two five. I remember because I was there. um, Because you listed it. Yeah, which was I've only done three listings in my life, and that was it. Like I hate listing. We own the bro. We own a brokerage. We don't do brokerage stuff um and uh i went to the to the brokerage i was in with the paperwork not even knowing that i think that might have been either on that brokerage or in all of oakville the first property sold over a million dollars at that time because they freaked out i'm like hey guys i got my first sale it's 1.25 and they're 
bases just dropped. That was huge. They could, yeah, that, at that mm -hmm. time. But the point was, everybody in what you've been really good at as you've turned over homes over the years is you've sold them for higher than anyone thought possible. And in this case, higher about a hundred thousand dollars higher than even some of the top real estate agents in the area thought possible. You listed it for one hundred and fifty higher, and so you didn't just list it; you sold it. I've seen you do that time and time again. What is it about a property that convinces you you can sell it for much higher than other people can sell it for? I think it, I was, well, I get asked that a lot. Cause you've done, you've done, I've seen you do that 10 times or more. Yeah. Austin, I know you've lived in some of these homes. Mm -hmm. And I would, originally I used to answer it much differently and I'll start off how, how I used to answer it. And then I'll say, really, this is kind of the bigger picture and probably even what's more important. How we've been able to always set a new precedent is by differentiating the home. So the houses that we did buy, whether it was differentiating it by doing something, you know, in the basement or whether it was the way we we're furnishing it, it was along those lines. And then when we were building, it gave us a lot more creativity and what we can do and what we can build. But I also think it wasn't about the differentiating. It was about creating urgency. If we can create urgency, then all of a sudden and, so, and, and that way, if somebody sees something, they're going to take action. And by so that differentiating was really to create urgency. So that house that you're talking about, that was the only house that was of that like that was similar in size in that area that has like a three car garage. It was very different and very unique. Right. Did that one have a three car garage? It did. It was a massive yeah, garage. That's right. right. You could actually even like a park. tandem. It was, it was a like a double tandem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's it was right. Like a double tandem. And like I said, it was uh, siding onto uh, 16 Mile Creek there. So th there was a lot of now. The reason why that house didn't sell is I could see the shortcomings. It was it was um, it was the poor execution on the listing. The fact that the house was completely vacant. They had taken out the appliances. So I could see past that, right? And then I knew by properly furnishing it. But even after we did everything, that's where we ran into the challenge. Agents were coming in. I was calling the top agents, and they're like. How could you expect us to basically list this house in less than six months for literally, you know, three hundred thousand dollars more, almost four hundred thousand dollars more? Explain to me where did you spend four hundred thousand? That's what they were asking me. You bought it for this. So they were associating the value of the property with what was spent instead of the value of the property in what it could become. Correct. Is what I bought it for and what I spent on it, and then how do I justify the delta in the price? And the way I and it was funny because I wasn't even. I'm not the guy trying to sell the house, but I'm telling everybody, hey, if I inherit an exotic car from my dad, like a collector's, it doesn't matter what I got it for, it's what's it worth in the market. And I was showing them other properties in the market that easily, again, these were other houses that hadn't sold, but were listed around the 1.5. I said, if they're listed at 1.5, and what we have to offer at 1.3, it seems like a pretty good deal. And obviously, it ended up selling at 1.25. Right. Did you pick up the idea of making your homes lifestyle homes uh, during that time, because remember that one home, that custom build you did on that court uh, that you sold with the Miami pool and the basement, like the best basement I had ever seen in my life. And I think some high level bank executive bought it or something, but that was another one. You set a huge price, um, but you, I think you convinced yourselves that if you made homes, lifestyle homes, that you would just get a premium. Is that when that kicked in? Yeah, that, that definitely was at that house where we really started picking up the game and, 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 uh, doing certain things like an, like, I mean, lifestyle by adding, 
you know, when home theaters were kind of not just regular, but also like those spas that you would kind of build yeah. into the home. So what we looked at is features that would be in a house that would be two million plus, three million. Speak into the yeah, mic. Sorry. You, well, you, the mic keeps that dropping. No, the mic's fine. It's you're just moving around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what we wanted to do is add the same type of features that would be offered in a two plus million dollar home and offer it in a traditional like like a subdivision, subdivision home. home. So that's why in that house we had like a multi-level theater with like so that anyone screens. running comparables couldn't compare that home to, to anything, anything not else. in the whole area. Exactly, exactly. So what were the key ones back then? That was um, uh, theaters. So the, 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 the steam gym. spa. So we would have steam showers, dry saunas. We'd have a rec room, and then in the back we had like the cabanas with like that's the right. Your TVs pools were those Miami style pools. I know you remember that of house. Of course I did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we would have like the TV areas in the back, so there'd be lounge areas and like literally. And then we had even the landscaping was different. It was more kind of like a Miami feel mm -hmm. to it. It was very early on. Now you started seeing more people because what would happen is every time we did a project, whether it be a backyard and a pool, all of a sudden now that was what was plastered on now the pool company, and everybody would see that and like, oh, I want that for my next pool. But we were one of the first to actually do that. So yeah, that that house just to give you an idea of the the scale of it. My neighbor at the time literally within a short period of like within a month or so his house was the same size he ended up selling i think it was like 635 we ended up selling like a million a million 44 like literally not twice as much but it was exact and he spent almost as much as we did in our house with all the upgrades it he was just a had huge, different features it was just a huge delta in price so he wasn't your friend after that no no <laughs> i don't think <laughs> what happened to him yeah. oh man yeah. Um, and then, but you took that same idea to townhouses because then when you're buying and selling some townhouses, you would do like fe stone feature walls, but also like a steam shower in there. Yep. Um, it, what's interesting about you watching you turn over and flip different houses, you were never scared to spend the money. And I don't know what the family dynamic it, it was. And I'm sure Austin could, has all, all, all some details between, you know, just you and Lori coming to decisions. Because you guys spent a lot of money on these flips. But compared to other people who flip properties, they were always looking to spend the bare minimum. You know how you always get called to help people flip properties? Mm -hmm. is, it, is Half the time, are you just convincing people to spend more money? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we will get there and they... Because they just want to spend the least and make the most, where you were willing to spend the most and then really ramp up the price. And, and I think the reason why I didn't, and early on, the reason why I didn't mind spending the money is because I was thinking it, it was like basically getting a family pass to Disney. Let's say it was going to cost $10,000, but it's like a lifetime pass, and I'm buying it. And then after, I get to use it for three years, and then I go to get to sell it for $20,000 to somebody else but I benefited from it. So I didn't mind spending that money because I knew I was going to enjoy the home because it was our house. And I the intent was to be there much longer. So that was why I originally started spending the money. Later on, as it started becoming working for like clients and figuring out what we needed to do and, and spending money or whether it would be a spec home, then at that point, spending the money wasn't about what I was going to get out of it. It was really on the investment side. And, and the, the way I would evaluate that decision would be, if I do this, whatever it was, am I going to sell it for faster or more money? It wasn't always about more money because if I sell it faster, it's an insurance, right? So those would be the two things. And I remember one time I was building a house and my budget was 1.1 million. And because of asking myself that question every single day on every single thing, I went from spending 1.1 million in construction to 2.2 million in construction. Talk about over budget. Yeah. All right. That's insane. That's insane. 
So, and that and that house still today is one of the houses that probably on a cost per square foot in Southwest Oakville is one of the most expensive houses for, for sure. So we did extremely well on that property. Um, but yeah, the, the key thing was always asking that question. And then what the, the follow-up to that is, okay. Austin, your friends always wanted to come to your, your houses. Always. Remember the secret passageway in that yeah, house? That was, your idea. That, that, was that was your totally. idea. that was straight to my room. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I'm like, Ruben, if you're going to build a house features. this big, yeah. you need to have a secret passageway. Yeah. <laughs> right from the theater, which was that? The theater. One of the theater panels like opened yeah. up. Which was like a legitimate theater, too. It was like a oh, multi-level. Yeah, like when you level. walked in, remember the remember? doors? Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah I, what I was yeah. gonna say is is the, the the like the you guys would put the whatever movie was playing, you'd put yeah. it on behind the glass of the entrance. Of the, mm-hmm. It was the a, like a tinted rounded glass yeah. with two crazy. like fifty screen LCD TV sideways. Yeah, and Perfect. the movie posters would be on those screens. Yeah. I want to know how the, how you got the guts to do some to do some of the things you've done. Like, at what point? Do you look at something and say this is completely crazy? Yeah, like and you're a million I mean, over budget. Yeah, like exactly that, and and you know even the thought of it to do that one, and again that was another one you were building for your family home, mm-hmm. and you know and actually you stayed in there for a while too until mm-hmm. it changed, but um, I mean for your initial build you decided to do something completely off the wall. You know, like that was the first home you did as a custom build for yourself. No, yeah, was, and it was yeah. a more modern home, flat roof. So, like, you made it as as difficult as possible on yourself. So, like, w- what's the thinking in that? Like, you didn't think at what you didn't think at one point, hey, you know what? Maybe I should really build something that's a little bit more Smaller. generic, so that it should be an easier process. Yeah. So, I think the stars really aligned because the reason why I started building it was for to build that for us. But I also wanted to build a home because I thought I wanted to be a builder, right? So I wanted to build like this massive, magnificent house that everybody was going to talk about, but that would be our house. But I can also showcase it as, as a product of what I we remember create. you talking about that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I realized after building a house, I don't want to build a house for anybody. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that, that, but um, I think what kept me going through all of it is and you and I, Tom and I have had this conversation where. I could literally, as I'm describing it, before even it was even built, like as I'm when describing it, I could visualize that house as if it was standing right in front of me. I could see it so clearly. And I think by seeing it so clearly is what made it so real that it kept on giving me like that, that, that strength and encouragement to actually do it. And then it wasn't just being naive about it. Every single, like almost daily, I was looking at stats. Right. I was looking, OK, what's selling. Right. So to 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 actually even go deeper in that point, I remember when I finally listed it, that an agent came through and they were actually criticizing the property, saying that it was grossly overpriced, overbuilt for the area and all these different things. And I said, can I ask you a question? And she said, sure. And I said, how many houses have actually sold over six million in the entire GTA in the last three hundred sixty five days? Obviously, that's not a question that somebody's prepared to answer, nor did I expect her to answer. But I said there was basically 11 houses. Of those 11 houses, how many were modern? And I said six. And I said, why weren't there more modern sales? It's because there wasn't any other inventory. So I knew the stats, like right to the, like what was actually moving, and that it was that was the 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 belief as well as the doing the due diligence, knowing that, hey, we have something that is actually lining up with what the market wants, right? So it's just, it was a matter of time just to 
go through the process and make it happen. So you knew the stats better than you thought anyone knew the stats. Oh, for sure. Because you were thinking six out of 11 in all of the GTA because the percentage, that's over half of the percentage of over 6 million. But if you take contemporary or modern homes as a percentage of the entire market, what's the percentage? I, I you know what? I can't go okay, back. Okay, yeah, but, it's, but it's, tiny. It, oh, it's, it, tiny. it's probably it single tiny. digits, I would imagine. But you knew, actually, you knew, I, I remember talking to you about these numbers. You had an idea of those numbers. At the time, I you did. You knew, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But the one, again, this is going back to 2012. This is like six years ago. So, but the one thing I remember very vividly, it was there was like basically the 11 sales and of the 11, six were modern when modern wasn't even a thing, mm-hmm. right? It's funny how things work because all of this adventure through you with your family doing all this stuff, you were going to be a builder. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. Now you're not a builder, but mm-hmm. you, I mean, you get unsolicited calls in about you helping people because you have your real estate license, helping people buy flip houses mm-hmm. do a lot of contemporary stuff i know here at rockstar the phone will ring and people will not even know you saying can i specifically speak to ruben Furtado? um because i'm gonna flip you know i'm gonna flip a house and then we say absolutely not and we hang up the phone <laughs> <on them. laughs> but uh but you've crafted out a niche for yourself now i know you're feeling it yeah uh, well, and I, that's primarily who you're working with now because you're not building but you're helping people you're basically advising now unintentionally almost no yeah so we're leveraging that success that we had on a lot of our own personal homes particularly on that one and i'll refer to it as belvedere because that was the street that it was on um because that house had ended up going viral on the internet i remember right? didn't the architect win a, an award wasn't yeah, it the front yeah, page yeah. of the globe yeah. and mail right so uh and like even today i still see that house constantly posted on on social media when people are like showing architectural photos of i've them. seen people take that house and claim it as their own 100 you know, percent. Yeah, oh yeah it's a thing yeah I, yeah as Ru- as ruben being your dad does that bug you when you see people doing that no because we're like right behind them oh that's our old house right yeah, yeah got it oh so yeah. you mean they're posting it online on social media yeah yeah, 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 yeah yeah okay so when they post it you guys are like cheering it on yeah, yeah. that was our place yeah no, it was definitely it. a cool house to live in you've seen that though right oh yeah yeah me or- too Okay, so you're helping people now. Yeah. What what what's what are some of, so now it's you are working with so this is how it's come off because Austin's now you guys are working together. Yeah. That's right. And now you're branding yourselves as the Furtado Group, correct? That's right. And who are the who, what are people doing? I know you're helping people do flips and builds and the whole bit. What what are the things? What are like what's going on right now in that market? Are you are you buying people buying big lots, small lots, modern homes? What's what are the trends? So. It, it depends. Like we work with two different types of people. We're working with people who are still wanting to build their dream home, right? But they want to be smart about it, buying the right lot, building the right house. So from an investment, it's a wise investment, but it's still their primary. And then we work with other people who are strictly building on spec with the intentions of selling. Um, so it, it, it varies who we're working with and what, what, their, what their goals are, right? Um, I feel that everybody still has this mentality that in order to do well and build like these luxury homes is that they have to build these massive houses. So they try to buy these big lots and build these massive houses where we've been experimenting a little bit and we've been finding that, wait a minute, the cost of land is too expensive. The cost of construction is too expensive. So what if we make a more efficient, smaller house, but still give it like the same kind of wow factor and lifestyle that you would in these multi-million dollar homes, right? And we're seeing a huge market for that, right? So that is one of the things that everybody that we're working with, whether they're building on spec or whether they're building their dream home, is to kind of draw them back in. I tell them, hey, if you think you need 4,500 square feet 
let's just start off with like 38 because eventually as you start building and start doing your planning it's probably going to go to 4,000 but if they start off with 4,500 square feet it, it quickly ends up at over 5,000 so we're dealing so that's part of it um, but where we what's really important is I, I see people make the mistake the first biggest mistake is that they're so focused on I want to build this house or it's a spec that they're chasing the deal on where they're going to like the land so they'll, they'll, to save $100,000, they'll buy a couple streets just outside of a really trendy area. And that then hurts them big time when they On go the to resale. Sell. So I will actually really, really encourage, no, 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 let's get the best lot and we'll sacrifice a little bit on the build, whether it be size or some of the fit and finish, but we want the location is going to be key. Um, so the nice thing is getting in early. And then the other thing is once they start building, it's now – you know, everybody, when they start building, their first expectation is like, okay, this house, I'm going to build it. It's going to be worth X. And because they're building for themselves, they don't want to spend the money. Oh, I don't need heated floors in the washrooms. Well, guess what? Now when they want to sell it, now they get really greedy and they want like $3 million, but yet they don't have heated floors or they don't have certain features that you would expect in a $3 million home, right? So I think that cycle, right, is changes. And if people can go back to the beginning – and say, hey, I want to know what my exit strategy, my exit strategy is going to be when I sell the house. They would be doing a lot uh, things a lot differently when it comes to the features that they're implementing in it. Right? How does it, uh, with Austin doing some of your social media stuff now? You know, you've you've basically bred a marketer. Yeah. You know how great? How do you pay him anything? I do. Do well, you? No, I do. Is it just slave? Don't. Is it family slave labor for Austin? No, it's not. What I is your Instagram? Everyone is no, listening. If you're listening to this and you want to check out some of the properties they deal with, you have to check out the Instagram account. Yeah. What is the Instagram account? So it's at the Furtado Group, right? It's our handle for pretty much everything. If you're looking on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, we're all on there. You got to check out these properties that they're doing. And one other thing, though, you know, just on that note, if you ever go on a trip anywhere with Ruben, Austin, I don't know if you know this, but uh, <laughs> if you go on a trip with Ruben, like we did, we went to see the UFC, the George St. Pierre fight in New York, and we went for a few days. You become Ruben's personal photographer. Oh, 100%. Yeah, okay, all right. So just we're all on the same page. <laughs> so, uh, Content's key. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, um, o- Oakville is still uh, your prime l- location, and then are you? Uh, what percentage of people that you work with do flips versus buying for themselves right now? I'm curious. I haven't asked you that in a long time. It's, yeah. You know what? I would – because we also work with people who are just buying their primary and selling their primary like uh, so but when we look at people who are actually doing like a custom build i would say that it's probably like a 60 40 ratio 60 percent are doing it on spec 40 percent are doing it for themselves got it but again that's not inclusive of the other people that we work with whether they're buying just a a straight rental and today's latest features you know how before it was like the spa that wasn't there in the movie theater what what is it What, what 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 are the things today you know how you say you jam, like in a smaller house, you can jam all the things. And like, I know the biggest thing for you is technology because one of your houses we went to, we couldn't get in the front door because the software wasn't updated. Yeah. <laughs> and we were having a Christmas party at your house and yeah. nobody could get in the house. You remember that? Yeah, we propped it open with a, I don't yeah. know, what we use, yeah. a shoe. It was a multi-million <laughs> dollar home with a front door that wouldn't work. Um, but uh, yeah, is it automation? You know what? Automation, I think, is a, uh, originally I thought it was a, a much bigger thing. It's just a, it's a, it's one of the things that you want to have, but you don't have to go all out in, right? Uh, I think if anything, right now, what we're really seeing, and it's not so much the movie theater. Yeah, I know. What is mm-hmm. it? No, I don't think the movie theater is it anymore. I, I honestly think it's literally about creating like a very smart use of space 
and just being able to have that wow factor. And I, when I say wow factor, is like, it's it's like think of it in a picture. It's it's like the money shot, and that uh, it literally comes down to design, right? Now, all those other things. What I uh, the to the opposite of that is like if you see these houses, one of the big assets is a basement. Most people just leave a basement and they just leave it as a big open space or a couple of rooms. They don't define the space. I still think it's very important to define those spaces. So yeah, a gym. Yeah, a media room. It doesn't have to a be- A gym, I see now a lot of yoga studio. Not like a gym, yeah. it's more like a yoga studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but it's, it's, it's the materials that you're using. So it's not done just in drywall. It could be a really nice walnut wood panel with integrated with like glass walls and, gl- and glass doors. Um, and then in that, like, you know, with built- Okay, so you're TVs, upgrading the quality of the entire house. It's really just giving it a very, um, a, a look that you wouldn't typically see in your traditional builder home. It's HGTV, right? right? Mm-hmm. It, HGTV's changed the game. So everyone wants the latest, yeah. something a little bit trendy, something's a little bit different. Yeah. It's opened people up to new ideas. And everyone wants, you know, that's why all people have pumped. I mean, the renovation and landscaping businesses have, have exploded over yeah. the years because of because of that. And this is what they're looking for. They're looking for the, the, the money shot. Yeah, but I'll say this. Like, I watch HGTV, and I'll, I even went down to the IDS show this year, all excited about seeing something new and cool. And it's, I just find that we're seeing the same things. So yeah, well, well, you've been in the – you're old. Yeah, well, no, well, it's not that. I just think it's, it's like where it – where people are taking it to the next level is like when you bring in some of these designers and these architects that have like this vision, something they haven't seen and then they implement it. That is where somebody will walk into the house and whether it be modern or, or whether it be transitional contemporary, it doesn't matter. Somebody will walk in and like, wow, man, this is super refreshing. You've naturally always had a good design sense uh, uh, about you. Who are the buyers for the three million? You know, if you're selling, if someone's spending money like on a $3 million home, Mm -hmm. who's buying it? Um, so sometimes it's going to be a, a foreign buyer that's coming in that basically opened up shop like a business here um, and is, is buying that for themselves. But a lot of times it's going to be a professional, uh, like whether it be a doctor. A lot of the folks that we've been working are in the medical field, right? Um, but yeah, there's, there's no stereotype. There really isn't because I've seen like on a modern house that you would think would be more of a younger professional. And it was like a 72-year-old man wanting to buy like a $5 million modern house, right? And so, like I said, there isn't really a stereotype. And what about the state of the market? Like we're in uh, we're in January right now. It's quiet right now. Is it quiet? That's what we're saying. Are you, do you feel like- At that price point. Is, I mean, in other price uh, yeah, points- it's, Yeah, we're it's seeing not, multiple offers yeah. in, in kind of the lower price points. But the headlines right now, I think are gonna be great for everyone over the next few months. And I mean great by funny, because they're gonna uh-huh. be negative uh-huh. because of all the price increases were so great last year. Uh-huh. If we don't have the same price increases this year, it's gonna look- bad on the year over year comparisons but uh are you seeing is it still active at that price point so absolutely i feel that there's the buyers are all pretty much lining up they're just not taking action so if a, a decent house comes out and it's priced right we're seeing it's multiple, going it's multiple offers and we're talking even even like now a, even if let's say it's a piece of land for a million dollars right so and that in that land, if you're going to build, you're probably going to spend somewhere around a million building. So it's not like it's a crazy deal. And then you're seeing um, like even a, another piece of land set a new precedent, like in southwest Oakville, just south of Lakeshore. We saw something sell for over two million. That was unheard of. Right. So, yeah, it doesn't I, I don't really see the 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 price of the house having a huge impact on, on the type of activity. I just think 
the right house priced well is still moving, right? Um, but is there fewer sales? Absolutely there is. is. Have the prices come down? Yeah, on the houses that either were flawed in the wrong areas, overpriced, yes, the prices have come down. But anything decent, right? Like we have a bunch of listings that are coming out and I'm extremely confident, right? What are the things that you saw people make a mistake in where it's like, you know, they went to flip a property, they want to sell it at a million bucks or whatever, and and like, what do they miss? Or they, they, it sits on the market, or they, they you know, they, they were so confident it was going to sell for a million, it ends up selling for eight fifty, whatever the number is, yeah. but like a decent chunk less than what they had really expected, and all their margins get get eaten up. And I know that's easy to answer in like a lower price point, but but in a higher price point, yeah. what have you seen people where it's just been like, man, they've really missed the mark on on this type of thing? It's where they decided to do. So first of all, number one is they probably decided to do a rental um, rather than a new build. So they figured, I'm going to buy this house. I want to keep my costs down. I'm going to rental it. I'm gonna do Instead it of knocking it down. Instead of knocking it down. As soon as you have to do a renovation and you're renovating the house, pretty much all of it, like doing the roof, windows, and adding kitchens and washrooms. We're not adding, but just replacing. You're and just then doing an addition. And you're limiting yourself to what was there. Yeah. You're going to be stuck with your eight-foot ceilings on an older home. Uh, the footprint that's there, sometimes you'll be limited to having like a single-car garage. So at that point, I'll tell you, at a cost per square foot, it makes more sense to tear the house down and build a brand new house. So that's the first and one of the biggest mistakes that I see with people and where they're losing money. The ones that aren't losing money is somebody who's been living in the house. They did a rental, but they've been there since like, you know, 2005. They bought the land for a lot less. Their rental costs, so they have margins. But anybody who did it on spec, they're losing, right? Um, and then the other one is somebody who's building from the ground up. It literally is that they built way too cheap. Then they didn't, they built in the wrong location. So built too cheap, like the quality of the finish is yeah, too cheap. exactly. Wrong, they bought one street over, so it was too cheap. So if the market changes a little bit, they, they can't get the premium. Yeah, so the first thing is the quality of the build. Like you look at, if, if you could go into one of these brand new custom homes and it looks similar to what a builder product is in a subdivision, you built way too cheap, right? If your staircase looks like their staircase, your kitchen looks like their kitchen, like I'm talking something that would be standard features of a, of a typical builder, Right. And even I'm saying a decent builder. Nah. So and I don't want to mention builders in terms of grades. <laughs> yeah, it almost right? came out there. Yeah, it almost, almost came out there. Yeah. Right. But a, a, a good, decent builder with a higher quality home. If you're building what they're building, you're building too cheap for a custom home. You have to be above and beyond that. Right. So if the standard is nine foot ceilings in a builder home, you have to be 10. Right. When you're doing custom. Same thing. Second floor, nine foot ceilings. Basement, nine foot ceilings. Right. Um, and then an addition to that would be is where they're cutting back. Like I, when I see somebody trying to sell like a $3 million home and there's, they literally, the house has nothing that differentiates that house from any other house. That would be the other, you know, thing that's gonna make it really difficult. And to the sell. differentiator could be what, like a waterfall somewhere, like just little features? Yeah, little features and, uh, and or, uh, they, I'm trying to think like glass walls. Okay. Yeah, that, but, it's even something as simple as like a lot of these houses that you see and you see them all the time on MLS, they're asking like 2.2 to $3 million and the house is not even staged. Yeah, got right? it. And remember, okay. people buy based on emotion. I'm looking at pictures on MLS of a vacant property. That doesn't create any emotion. You spend, you know, a million dollars, sometimes 2 million or 3 million construction to but see an empty but house. But you won't get anything staged. You won't spend the next no. little, you know, little bit to, yeah, to put that And I want you in. to think of a bedroom bare 
Like, what impact? Well, now imagine a bedroom. Yeah, it's like, no different than a yeah. closet with a window. Exactly, exactly. So, and that is a huge problem that I see people do. And why? Is because they spent so much more money. They didn't budget properly. Now they're over budget, and they're like, "I'm just done. I'm done. I don't want to spend any more." Tapped out. I, mean, I need to pay it. everything back. Just sell this house for me. And I'll tell you, there's a, there's story after story where people like bailed, and then literally an investor will call me. We'll pick up that property, and we will then finish it off and do it right. And there's money to be made. It's funny, you know how we talk, Nick, you know how we always talk in business that you never want to be compared in business to any other business, otherwise you're reduced to a commodity. Mm -hmm. You know, like in business, if someone can compare what you do as a business to the business across the street, the only comparison that they can use is price. Mm -hmm. So you've turned yourself into commodity. And it's what I'm hearing you say, because if you build a house that kind of looks like a builder house, the kitchen kind of looks like a builder house, if the features kind of look like builder finishes, even if it's a custom kind of... Uh, like a higher end builder, you're then reducing yourself to being compared to those guys. Whereas w what I hear you saying is if you make it unique where they can't compare it so that I know a lot of the houses that you've done in the past, instead of it, it might only have a two car garage from the outside, but you'll put a lift in it. And now all of a sudden it's a three car garage. So now when you're kind of searching, you can't find a house that has three can store three cars. So now I can't, I can't compare or it has three cars and it has like a nanny suite in the house. So now if there's another house that's same square footage, maybe only 3,000, not only 3,000, my mm. gosh, mm. oh, 3,000 square feet, but it has a nanny suite where other 3,000 square foot houses in the air don't have a separate entrance nanny suite. It's totally different, right? You're just making the product unique from the beginning and it gives you the premium price at the end. So 100%, but to give you, when you, when you mention the lift in the garage to go from a two car to a three car garage, you start looking at stats and you start saying, okay, how many houses over 2 million have a three-car garage versus how many have a two-car garage? You start limiting your competition. But it's not just having the lift. You got to make that garage look like a $3 million house. So, got it. so the doors of the garage. Not only like the doors. When, we, when we're showing this house, literally, there's like Porsches, Range Rovers. Like we'll even call oh, Porsche. So you're staging the garage. We're mm -hmm. staging the garage. Yeah, yeah, I want, like it. when we show awesome. a that's great social media. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Awesome. yeah. yeah. It gives awesome, awesome, great content to put out there, right? So, but then you're looking at this house. Do you remember when we raced cars in Vegas and you were the slowest? Who? You. <laughs> Did you see Ruben's Denial. Denial right now. Ruben the got in so the Lamborghini big. Aventador. No. No, you got in the Lamborghini I know, Aventador. But the car's that big. Uh, you cars look at a bigger car. You look at an airplane. An airplane looks like it's going a slow. A Lamborghini Aventador. And they all mm. said it's the fastest car. You wanted to get it. It was, like it was funny because we because we were taking a video of you coming around the corner. We're like, oh, we'll take a video of Ruben. And you were going so slow that it was just like, oh, we were all sad. We were all there for your dad's birthday. And Mike was videotaping it. Videotaping. He had his phone up videoing it. And he, he just lowered his arms after yeah. about 10 seconds. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, this I is so you. slow. The car was going fast. No, you weren't going so fast yeah. at all. Yeah. You were the slowest. Yeah. But it's anyway. Um, so, you, you know, what, it's a good point about about the lift, especially because a lift, an empty garage with a lift looks like a mechanic shop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But you put but anyone that's buying a house of, you know, if they're looking to spend over, you know, two million, three million, yeah, four million of that property, mm -hmm. they're going to have something that they want to put on that lift. It's not going to be an everyday car. It's going to be a showpiece is that type of thing. So you're giving them. You're letting them see it firsthand. So, I mean, it's it's those, I think it's those little things that people overlook, like you were talking about, and people just won't do, because they're like, ah, it doesn't matter, they get it. Mm -hmm. That person gets it. But people don't get it. You have to you give have to them the vision. You have to, like, treat people like it's like, a, yeah. they're you know, they're like a five-year-old person, and you're giving them the entire picture. I'm sure even the pictures you guys do are just o over the top. 
Yeah. Do you remember, by the way, just on this whole car thing, do you remember when we were working together at Oracle and when we'd go for lunch, I was driving my Honda Civic and you wouldn't get in it because you wouldn't be seen in a Honda Civic? (laughs) Do you remember that? My four-door Honda Civic (laughs) was still the best car ever. I bought that thing off lease, drove it for a year, and then sold it for higher than the bio. The Honda Civic was the best. Was it black? It was black. Yeah. Cloth interior. It was perfect. Four-door. Manual windows. Luxury. It was that yeah, was the best car. Eighty. Yeah. I remember. You've never been a car guy though. I don't care about cars, but it was eighty dollars for a tire replacement. I remember a tire. I, bought, I I popped a tire. I need to get a new tire. It was eighty dollars. On the X5 right now, you pop a tire. I, the the bill came. It was a run flat tire. They're like, yeah, we put on the new tire, and I forget what else they did. It was like six hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, anyway, but when you were talking about pictures, the. Every, you're, depending on the board you're putting it on, let's say it's going on the Toronto board, you're allowed 20 pictures. And when I see somebody listing a $3 million home or $2 million, even $1.5 million home, and of they, they'll use like a picture of a powder room. I'm looking at a, like a freestanding sink and a toilet. If that picture doesn't scream 2.5 million, it shouldn't be on a listing. Yeah. Everything that you are trying to basically convey is the value that you are asking for. So that's why I always say it's so critical that they're staging the house because that house then those rooms that you're showing, whether it be in videos or pictures, and a lot of people, like even though one, that last house that we sold for 2.7, the buyer never even saw the house. He saw it online, right? So it's huge. And I, I, you know, anybody listening who's thinking of doing that, make sure they have in their budget or they're working with a realtor that's going to stage it because that is going to be just as important. Why did he not see the house? Um, so he was working overseas. He actually, um, his wife was here. She came in, okay. but he saw it overseas. And again, it's all about creating urgency. So we have a whole process of the day and the hour that a listing gets out there to, because we, we know the trends of when people are looking. So it literally got out to the buyer. The buyer immediately called the wife. The wife ends up going in the house and boom, we have offered. I think it was that day or the very next day because they were trying to jump ahead of the open house, right? Because we were having an open house on Sunday. But back to that point, he hadn't seen the house and he actually bought a $2.7 million house without, a $2.7 million house without seeing it. Cool. Yeah. Ruben, thanks for doing this, man. Austin, thanks for coming in and doing no this. Problem. Thanks for helping out your dad. Your dad's busy. We appreciate I, I I look yeah. at Austin. I just... I, I uh, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't be jealous of someone, but I see Ruben with Austin. I'm like, oh, he has his own marketing guy walking around with him, and it's his son. It's like, you can't get greater than that. Yeah, vice versa, too. You know what? You know, growing up, being in or knowing what you want to do in, uh, you know, when you grow up, not everyone can say they have a really good mentor, you know, in their family or in their house. So as much as he's lucky that, you know, we kind of work off each other, having a mentor in the field that I wanted to be in and being able to work with him on the team, it's been awesome as well. Who, oh, now we're do you deserve sappy. this? Do you deserve this? Don't son? get teary. No, no. Do you deserve this, son? <laughs> Listen to that. That I is, a, I know I you created. Did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave me life. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. We'll do this again. All right, perfect. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kradza. So thanks for listening to that episode. Um, we had a fun time uh, chatting. We'll have those guys back on for sure at some point. There's a lot more to chat about. And uh, some of the, the next episodes are already uh, planned and booked, so they'll be coming your way shortly. Remember the uh, email to use if you want, have any show ideas, interview guests, whatever. It's podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. So podcast 
at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's also the website to check out more about us. It's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. We will talk to you soon.